thought maybe you boys might be interested in putting on a big time wrestling bout. You know, make a nice hunk of dough for yourself. It's time to play Santa? Yes, Virginia, there is a Santa Claus. Morgan, you're out of here. You don't have the right temperament for the trade. You're a dead man. What am I supposed to do? There's always barber college. Frankie, I know you're a great wrestler, but my brother, who ain't as handsome as you, is as strong as Charles Atlas. Yeah, but I've wrestled women that are bigger than him. Sure, you got fat, sloppy women. Hello, and welcome to Camel Clutch Cinema, the podcast where we talk about movies that star wrestlers or have wrestling in them. I'm Guy Hutchinson. And I'm Craig Cohen, and on this episode, we are very pleased to welcome back to the show the screenwriter of the 2011 Stone Cold Steve Austin film, Recoil, and his name is Johnny Sullivan. Or John Sullivan. Yes. We had a we had a pre-show conversation with, with, with him about it. So, how you doing? I'm great. It's great. It's great to talk to you guys again. Uh, I, I, I love the show a lot, and I'm always happy to talk to you. So, awesome. if people see you on the street, what do they call you? They call you Johnny or John? depends it's weird i i I think uh girls call me johnny um my parents call me john and my guy friends call me sullivan or sully so it's i have i have like five names fantastic so we talked to you last time it was november of last year uh what have you been up to since then uh i've been busy um uh luckily which is always good uh, as a writer um, I have a movie I'm doing right now for Nickelodeon, um, believe it or not, uh, a kid's film uh, called Boogeyman that I'm uh, writing literally right now. Um, it's, it's, I'm actually staring at it at the computer screen. Uh, I sold it as a pitch with uh, the director Howard Deutsch directing, um, and that's, that's kind of been my priority uh, for the moment. And I'm also trying to put together a movie called Black Friday uh, independently. Uh, we're trying to get some financing for that, or we've made some progress, and uh, it's just a question of getting a couple actors on board. Uh, so those are those kind of like are, are the two things. I have a horror movie that I'm co-writing with a friend of mine, uh, that Dave Parker, uh, who directed um, The Hills Run Red. He's a really, really great horror director. Uh, so we're, we're working on that. That's kind of like a co-writing situation. So. Um, I just got to pick and choose my battles every day in terms of what project I want to tackle. Last time we talked to you, you, you mentioned a little something that I wanted more detail on the film Mm -hmm. recoil. You said that you, that when, when you started, you had a different script that was in the Mm -hmm. desert. It was more supernatural. It was Randy Couture that, that they had wanted as the lead actor, Tell us more about that script. Is there any information on that that you can give out, or is that something that's such a different script that you want to hang on to it? Uh, no, it's uh, the recoil has always been recoil for the most part in terms of the title and the basic storyline. The, the the movie started out. I wanted to do High Plains Drifter. That was I, I wanted to do a modern day High Plains Drifter with bikers, and that's ultimately what the movie turned into. Um, but I worked with a director, a writer-director, and he wasn't attached to direct, but he was helping me with the script a little bit, named Rick Wapp, who uh, actually directed Snitch with uh, Dwayne Johnson. Yeah. 
And he had kind of guided me along. I had just moved to L.A., and even though I had been working for a number of years um, as a screenwriter, I was still kind of green. You really don't it, – it's, it's really hard to kind of get a rhythm as a writer. Um, it's, it's incredibly difficult to kind of write for the market and know what a script looks like on the page. And even though I had had some success by that point, I still didn't really know how to navigate a lot of the avenues, especially in Los Angeles. Um, so Rick helped me out a little bit. Um, he didn't contribute to the script, but he, he was kind of there. He was like, look, this, this isn't going to work. This isn't going to work. This isn't going to work. Um, and we had Randy Couture attached. Randy Couture was the first actor attached to Recoil. Um, at the time, the movie was called Man with a Vengeance, uh. Uh, which I never liked. I never <laughs> liked that. Um, I, I came up, I'm proud to say that I came up with Recoil. That was my choice. Mm-hmm. It's an excellent uh, title. I, I, I remember having like a late night conversation after like a bottle of wine. I called Rick up and I'm like, I said to him, Man with a Vengeance, it's like four words. You know, no, no action fan is going to watch a movie that has four words in the title. Right. So I am like, what about Recoil? And it had been used before, which is something that has haunted me because occasionally there's a Gary Daniels movie called Recoil that this gets confused with a lot. Um, and sometimes people think it's a remake of it. I'm like, why would I remake a Gary Daniels directed DVD movie? <laughs> uh, but uh, I wound up calling up Rick, and I told him I, I like Recoil better. And he was like, oh, it's great. It's great. And I talked to Randy's management. I never physically spoke to Randy, but I talked to his management, and they were very happy with it. And then I would say I, I moved to L.A., and then two months into my time in Los Angeles, I get a call from the producers, and I get a call from Rick and, and saying, like, hey, they kind of want to make this kind of like The Crow. I'm like, really? You want? Oh, all right. And, you know, I really kind of wanted a paycheck. So yeah. I was kind of willing to do whatever uh, on the script. So I had to do, there actually exists a version, which will never get exposed to light of day, where Recoil was kind of like the crow. <laughs> uh, where Steve Austin's character was dead. And, and, and there was there was also talk about if Randy dropped out, we'd get like uh, the Undertaker in the movie, and we'd ha- and we'd make it like this WWE horror film, which really probably wound up being Ceno Evil, mm-hmm. and uh, or Kane. That was discussed during a time, but but they really wanted Randy because Randy was Randy signed on long before the script was even finished, um, and it was going to be his first movie. He hadn't done Expendables yet. He hadn't done anything yet. Um, so I, uh, I did that version and it was horrible, it was horrible. Right. and it's all my fault. I just couldn't make it work. I just couldn't make it. And there was no way I, I can't do like a, a tough guy punch fest movie mm-hmm. that had supernatural, you know, overtones. It just didn't work. And I sent the script to, uh, the producers and they were like, yeah, no, this is terrible. We can't, we can't do it. <laughs> like, Great. That's terrible. Um, so what do we do now? He's like, why don't, why don't you just do High Plains Drifter with bikers? And I'm like, yeah, that's what I did. Initially. <laughs> um, so I just, I really didn't even have to change anything. I just, I just kept the original draft. And I'm like, here's, here, here's what that is. Um, 
the what what happening with project is that Randy got expendables and then his schedule got kind of muddled and it was kind of like yeah we'll do this but it kind of just got lost in the ether after a while and the script wound up in in my drawer and I moved on to other stuff I I, I did a movie for Disney um, I did a couple movies for sci-fi channel and I kind of forgot about it um, my manager years later uh, we were at a party together, and we were both uh, drinking a lot of Red Bull, and, and you know, we're amped up, and we ran to a couple producers, and uh, he told them about my, my uh, recoil, and they're like, well, we're looking for something for Steve Austin. We, need some, we literally need something for Steve Austin in the next couple months, and uh, this was perfect, and we, I always wanted Steve. I, I always thought Steve was the best choice for the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, I had a deal like two weeks later. Um, and, uh, luckily I didn't lose the deal because I accidentally burned one of the producers with a, a, a lit end of a cigarette by accident. <laughs> oh, where, where on his body? Uh, on his hand. But, uh, luckily I think everyone was kind of in a, in a state where, uh, they didn't remember it. So, <laughs> Let me uh, let me ask just a couple questions on the supernatural version of this. In sure. that version, uh, how does he die? Do you remember? Um, he, Varrett, um, and and the name always stuck. Oh, always, and it was always Ryan Varrett. It was always Ryan Varrett. Yeah, yeah. I, I I think actually actually no, I take that back. Um, I think it was John Varrett for a little mm-hmm. while, and I got a note from the production company that eventually made Recoil, Nasser Group North, that um, Steve's done a lot of movies where it's Jack or John or Jake, sure, and they kind of wanted him to not have a J name. But you so kind I had of, to come up with a different first name. But you had to want it to be John, right? Um, yeah, I mean, I, cool I, I love that. John. I mean, obviously yeah. it's my name, but it's also like, it's just an iconic hero name, like John McClane, you know, John Matrix, like, yeah. but, uh, but I like Ryan Barrett. I think it's unique. It's, it's not necessarily like the first hero name you think of, but I think it's an iconic name. Um, yeah, so I did it, it, but it always was Barrett and, and the first name didn't mean a lot because it was Barrett all, all through the script. I never and- really referred to him as his first name. And so what had happened uh, to him? How did, how did he die? Well, in the, uh, in the movie, um, it, it actually played out kind of like how the produced version looked, okay. where yeah. the family gets killed at the birthday party. And, uh, but he dies. Right. Although, it's, it's, again, it's kind of like High Plains Drifter in the sense that, is he dead? Is he a ghost? Is he the angel of death? Mm-hmm. Uh, we don't know. I never answered the question, but I left it open uh, in in that draft. Right. Well, here's the uh, thing about in the movie, they're there to kill him, right? Um, yeah. Why, why don't they make sure he's dead? It, it seems odd that they, they look over him and they leave him there and, and give him the chance to come back, much like happens in the end. We didn't get into it um, in, in the movie, and, and that is um, that is sort of a hole in the storyline, and, and I I'm totally guilty of it. Uh, but what the, the thing is, they thought he was dead. 
Mm-hmm. They thought they got him. And and there were scenes that were cut where he was in the hospital and we see him recover and, and then get out. And uh, uh, one of the elements of the original script, and again, a lot of this stuff, since we're dealing with like a 90-minute movie with a limited budget, we have to cut scenes. And there were just, there were parts where it turns out that he has significant injuries. He doesn't have long to live. Right. Um, they, they give him uh, eight, I don't know, something like eight months to live because of his injuries without getting proper treatment, but he doesn't want treatment. He wants to take those months that he has and just exact vengeance on not only the people that killed his family, but basically on every single criminal who escaped the system. Oh, I like that. That was the idea. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was sort of, we had a ticking clock on, on his lifespan. So uh, rather than have him just being out for revenge, he has to pack in all this revenge in a limited amount of time uh, before his body gives out or his heart gives out or, or he basically his body just collapses. Um, we couldn't really do that in the version that, that one of the being produced, and just really because of time. I mean, everyone loved that idea, but we just couldn't do it. So the idea is that the bad guys thought he was dead. That's why they left him alone. Sure. In the in the supernatural draft, did he have superpowers? Uh, no, no. It was it was more on the on the level of the crow, where uh, obviously Brandon Lee's character in the crow did have kind of superhuman powers. In this case, we we just kind of we we made it very neutral. Um, he's he's a revenant. He's an uh, angel of vengeance, and he can be killed, uh, but we just don't get into that. That was the idea. Um, we don't know if he's dead. And at the end of the movie, um, when he leaves Darcy, he just kind of disappears, which is really something I totally ripped off from High Plains Drifter, where Clint Eastwood just kind of recedes into the landscape at the end of that movie. And that's that's kind of what I wanted to do. I kind of wanted to leave it open. Um and when I say that this was the supernatural version, I, it, there weren't like ghosts or there weren't mm-hmm. any like any anything else. It was just more of a uh, of a vague kind of. Um, I mean, yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna compare it to the Seventh Seal. Oh, <laughs> but, nice! You know, mm-hmm. And you're you're gonna have a great laugh about that. <laughs> but I, I really wanted this vague kind of like metaphor for. Um, for really kind of settling scores before you move on to the afterlife. Oh, I like that. Uh, I, I want to get to what happens after the movie, but before we get to that, I want to talk about what happens before the movie. Uh, last time we talked, you mentioned that when you first saw it, you thought, hey, this feels like I'm watching maybe the second or third part of a trilogy. Yeah. What happens, other than what we see in flashbacks, what happens before this in the movie? I mean, what is? did you have backstories in your mind for all of these characters, for Kirby and for Darcy and for Rex and oh, everybody yeah. else? You have to. You have to. For, uh, to, to write any movie, um, I, I, I think you need to know where these characters... My, my girlfriend's uh, a, a, an actress, and, and she always mentions something called the moment before. And the moment before is, is not something you see on screen, but it's what the character has gone through. And I think you need, I think even as a writer, you need to have that uh, going in. And, and as far as Barrett is concerned, Barrett's been my, my, my backstory for Barrett. Before we see the events in Recoil, 
he's done stuff in recoil like two times before. That's why I always say that it's like the third installment in, in a series. But I pick up in the middle. And he's gotten out of the hospital. His family's dead. His kid's dead. And he sees this. Uh, and actually, I had this. In, uh, there's actually was a flashback in the original draft, but we, again, we had to cut it for time. Um, he sees a new story about a rapist. Uh, who has gotten off because of his political connections. And he straight up takes the same, uh, takes the shotgun, same shotgun that you wind up seeing in recoil, and blows this guy away while he's out on bail. And that leads to him kind of doing this for, he literally scans the newspaper. I mean, Barrett doesn't have internet connection or anything. He's going okay. through the newspaper. And he's seeing these news stories about these criminals, and we see them every day. These guys who get off and, and, and don't deserve to get off, or, or the system failed and uh, goes out and kills them. He's been doing this for a while, which is why the FBI is, is on his ass about this. Um, he's technically a serial killer, mm-hmm. but he's a serial killer of bad guys. And obviously that is um, that's very similar to The Punisher, and I... Yeah, I totally admit that. It's very similar to The Punisher. I love The Punisher. It's one of my favorite, favorite comic books. And, and some of the runs that, that Ennis has done has mm-hmm. been great. And uh, you know, I really, I'm actually a really big fan of the uh, uh, Ray Stevenson one. And <laughs> I actually really like the Dolph Lundgren one as well. Yeah. I kind of wanted to do The Punisher. I've been, I, I've been talking to my manager for a while about trying to get a meeting with Marvel to do The Punisher to do a reboot or a TV series or something. Oh, wow, that would be excellent. Now, yeah, that would be great. One thing it's really, is... really hard to get, but... <laughs> yeah, yeah. So we, we just talked about the beginning of the movie, and one thing that I found interesting, I watched the movie for the second time um, last night prior to, to, to coming on with you, and when the movie opens with Stone Cold being the one that kills this, this hunter, um, mm-hmm. I think it instantly, for me, set him up as a good guy. Now, I don't know if that's just because it was stone cold or because of the way it was, it was presented, but is, is is that something that you kind of wanted to be ambiguous in the script? Um, no, he's always, I think we kind of set up that, or I hope, and again, it's on the page, but I'm not sure if it necessarily was depicted, um, blatantly on the screen, but, uh, we set the hunter up as a guy who kills innocent things. Yeah. Oh, sure, yeah, that that was. He clear. needs to kill that rabbit. Yeah. Yeah, and it, and it's and it's not you know any sort of you know political statement on hunting or whatever. I have no you know I have no stance on that one way or the other. But you know he's going to kill a rabbit <laughs> with a with a you know AR-15, mm-hmm. and you know I think that's I I was one of the um, one of the shortcuts. And screenwriting is if you want to make the audience instantly want a bad guy dead, is have them hurt a kid or an animal. Right. <laughs> this and this comes up again later with the with the guy pulling the gun on the dog. I mean that's and it's, it yeah. works perfectly both times. And this time with the hunter, the other hunters even go, "Come on, mm-hmm. you, what, you're going to shoot the rabbit? Come on, yeah. you don't have to do really that." It's perfect. It's I mean it really lets you know who you're supposed to root for. We 
did um, one of the, uh, the original line. I, I rewrote it um, mainly just because they they couldn't get a deer. They they, they only had a rabbit. Um, they they were talking to me about it and they're like, okay, the scene where because originally it was the hunter has this assault rifle and he's obviously you know it's got an unfair advantage on an innocent animal and uh, he comes upon uh, a deer like a fawn though um, and I think the line was it doesn't even have antlers and he blows it away and and that to me informed the fact that he actually was a child predator this guy who got off ah. I was trying to, to do that but actually the rabbit worked well because the rabbit is cuter and mm. you know to blow, try to blow away a rabbit with an AR-15 pretty evil yeah so, uh, so when when Steve gets him and throws him off the cliff, um, that kind of forms. And then you know, yeah, we have the biker later with the dog, which is which is really shot scene for scene for my script. Uh, the whole dog thing. Um, I was amazed because like I I wasn't sure. It's hard to work with animals, and they were able to get they were able to get a dog that that really was sweet and apparently behaved and stuff. That's that's what I want to talk about is is how some of the things in the movie relate to what was in the script. Uh, we get a flashback right away, and we get a bunch of these throughout the script, uh, throughout the film. Were they in the script like they were? These flashbacks of the clowns of the murder, and you see it piece by piece as we go along. Um, in 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 terms of. How how close was my script to the the? Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, did you put them at the moments that they appear in the film? Uh yeah, for the most part. Um, a couple of them. Uh, when you write a script, they have to switch things around mainly because of of uh, well, two things: budget and um, when they have certain actors available. So they shoot out a sequence, and sometimes those scenes get switched around just because of that. Um. But yeah, the flashbacks—they cut flashbacks. I had um, I had one flashback that was uh, Steve and the confessional um, after I think after one of his first kind of murders, uh, one of the bad guys he goes after right after his family is killed, mm-hmm. um, and they cut that uh, mainly for timing sake and so they have to replace that with a different flashback so sometimes stuff is shuffled around like a house of cards mm-hmm. um but yeah the uh the birthday massacre that happened uh was completely i think that happened in the first like 15 20 pages of the, of the script and it happened in the first 10 15 pages of the movie mm-hmm. um the opening sequence where steve's just driving the car and you, you literally see the title card completely shot everything. I, and I told them they didn't have to, <laughs> but they, they actually shot like action choreography was really on point. Um, the only difference was, yeah, the clown masks uh, was not in my, was not in my script. That's something that they put in, which I liked when I saw it visually, but I thought it looked a little too dark nighty. Mm-hmm. But now, I think it was effective. Mm-hmm. Now, when Steve, when when Stone Cold Steve Austin came on board, how much work did you do on the script to sort of make it fit for him? Because he was also a producer on this film, and and how did he function in that role? Uh, Steve's uh, Steve's a producer on it. He's got a financial stake in the movie, 
um, it's, he, I didn't have any real interaction with him. I, I exchanged a couple of emails, um, but I never like sat down on the phone with him and mm-hmm. discussed the script. It was mo- it was mainly his management and, mm-hmm. uh, I'm good friends with his management and they've been really great to me. Um, they're, they they always ask for new action films and I'm actually doing one for him right now. Oh, excellent. Uh, yeah. So, uh, I just, I, I really, really want to talk about it, but I can't. <laughs> but it, it, I, I promise you, it, it, it's it's good. It's a good one. Awesome. Well, hopefully, when uh, when it's all said and done, you can come come back on the show and talk to us about it. Oh yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll give you guys an exclusive on it. Um, Fantastic. But, uh, now we're talking. But it was uh, it was more like I had a uh, the movie wasn't written for Steve Austin. It, it was. Uh, it was a Randy Couture project, and it was also a very early script for me. I was a lot younger. Um, I think I started writing it. I think uh, I'm 35 now. I think I started writing when I was like maybe 26, 27. So it, it was an earlier script for me, and it's gone through a lot of permutations. Um, with the Steve, when Steve came on board, I had a lot of monologues, and, and writers like to write. They like to write dialogue. They like to have characters talk to each other. I mean, I come from the mid-1990s Kevin Smith, Quentin Tarantino school of, of screenwriting. And uh, that isn't really going to work for Steve Austin because his persona is a man of few words. You know, he speaks in action, not necessarily. We're not giving him like a Hamlet monologue. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I think he's amazing in the movie, but one of the things I had to do is I had to cut down um, a couple of, you know, hefty scenes. And the movie was better served by it because it informed the drama a little more and it allowed actors like, like Sorinda and and, uh, and Kirby and, and uh, 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 Patrick Gilmore uh, played Kirby and... Uh, it allowed them to kind of like play off Steve, who was this immovable rock. And it was funnier. Um, one of the things I really wanted to keep was the humor in, in some of those scenes. With, with, I mean, do encounter Steve Austin, not knowing he's a wrestler. Yes. He walks into your convenience store. and You touch your you, gun. <laughs> yeah. You know, you're like, kind of like, Hey, uh, what do you need? <laughs> and and that was kind of great. Once he was cast, I was able to go into the rewrite for Nasser and, and, and Caliber, and I was able to go into that rewrite and, and actually write to his voice and his presence, which was really, really cool. Um, you don't get that opportunity a lot. Sometimes you sell a script, and they never talk to you again, and, you know, someone else gets cast in it. But that... I was able to know that Steve Austin was going to be in the movie and write to Steve Austin's voice. And I watched all his movies. I watched Damage and Condemned. I watched Condemned like three times. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. That scene in the convenience store with Kirby is is well done. Uh, the, the, the gag you're talking about where he goes for the gun is interesting. 
what what were there any differences on the page to on the screen with this character? Because it's interesting how he's a character that is both good and then has issues. Uh, later, we see that when Steve's at his house, I believe he's got like a bag of like marijuana or something. Uh, he's a conflicted uh, character. Uh, yeah, Kirby. I always saw him as he's a he's a good natured guy who's trapped in this town, and the. Um, Every character in, in Recoil in, in the town of Hope, which was originally called Savage in, in the original draft, but they called it Hope, which I like better because it's more ironic. Yeah. Um, every character is trapped, but they've managed to find their own sort of existence in this town. Uh, Serinda's character, uh, uh, Darcy, has kind of resigned herself. They killed her husband. Um, she runs this hotel. If she doesn't say anything, if she doesn't do anything, they leave her alone and she has a business. Kirby, Kirby runs a garage. He smokes weed. He probably drinks all day. And he really just wants a girlfriend at the end of the day. He's probably got a crush on, on Darcy because Darcy is apparently the only girl in town. Yes. Um, except for like, I guess the biker girls, but, um, but it's, uh, I always saw Kirby's character as, but the thing is he, he wants to stay alive. And when Drake, Danny Trejo, approaches him, he, he has no choice. He, he can't go anywhere. He's not going to be able to run. Um, these people don't have any money. Yeah. You know, if, if Darcy leaves the hotel, she's got no income. If, if um, Kirby leaves the garage, she's got no income. And as much as he probably kind of admires and, and maybe even um, likes and wants to be friends with with Barrett, Steve's character, he 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 has to he has to betray him in a way, and he does, and he immediately regrets it. What about Darcy? How different was she on the page from in in the film? Did you picture her as being this beautiful brunette? Um. I didn't have a hair color in mind. But, um, That's the first thing I would do. <laughs> I know. We actually uh, wanna it, it, it was really between. I, I would kind of let in a little bit on the casting process, not by much, but they would inform me once in a while. And um, yeah, it was basically between Sorinda and Alicia Cuthbert from Twenty Four. Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I know who that is. Sure. Um, both Canadian. It was a lot. A lot of it had to do with Canadian actors because uh, there was a tax credit involved in the movie. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, it was, it was going to be Alicia or Sorinda. Um, I I thought Sorinda was awesome, and and I did picture her as that. The role really was not that different from from the page at all. Um, I think she did a great job, and um, I I really liked I, I liked her performance because she played a damaged. Mm-hmm. and tough at the same time. And one of my favorite interactions um, is her and Steve on the porch uh, in the beginning of the movie uh, where she's just kind of talking about her husband. And then I also really love the interaction with her and Steve at the end of the film where she kind of ties together the title with the theme of the movie, which is Recoil, which is... Yes. Um, uh, I... I it's one of my favorite pieces of writing, and I know, again, like I, I always say this term, I know it's not Shakespeare, and I'm not Shakespeare. 
but I really love that monologue at the end about recoil and how it hurts you. And after a while, it doesn't hurt you anymore. Now, when did you come up with that? Was that something you came up with before the title or after the title? You told the story about how you came up with the title. Was that in the script at that point? Uh, I came up with the title first, and then I wanted, in the final scene, I wanted to tie it together because so many movies, you know, you can call a Van Damme flick maximum risk, you know, or you can call, like, under siege, but there's never, like... I really like tying in the title of the film to the theme of the film. And yes. it's a joke sometimes, like, where people, like, joke about, like, oh, the title of the movie is spoken in the movie. Uh, <laughs> but in this case, I didn't want it to be a generic title. I, don't, because I could call the movie Recoil and never mention Recoil in the entire film. Mm -hmm. uh, but I wanted to have a theme. I wanted to be, have a, a purpose. So that, that monologue at the end is just something I came up with. And um, it was a little lengthier in, in the original script. Uh, but what they, what I had to cut, uh, it still works. And, and I, I love the fact that the audience can sort of uh, be like, oh, that's why it's called Recoil. I like that moment, you know. Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, one thing that I really enjoyed um, in the movie that you don't see in a lot of movies was – uh, not sympathetic villains, but villain, villains that you kind of understood. How did you go about yeah. creating the the circle gang and 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 the characters uh, that were in that gang? I was I was really during the time when I first started writing the script. Um, I was really obsessed with um, with with biker organizations, mm -hmm. um, especially like you know out, outlaw biker gangs and um, and I. I I got a lot of flack on IMDb and, and a couple other message boards and, and movie bloggers saying that I ripped off Sons of Anarchy. I've actually never seen Sons of Anarchy. Neither have I. <laughs> uh, I, uh, I read mainly Under and Alone and No Angel, mm -hmm. uh, which are two books about undercover cops and biker gangs. I, I just love that stuff. I mean, it's just fun for me to read. Mm -hmm. So I kind of wanted to do something in that world, and I felt like doing a Western in that world was um, – something that could be cool. Uh, what I wanted to do was not make Drake uh, a typical movie villain. I didn't want him to be like this mustache twirling, you know, snidely whiplash kind of guy. I wanted to, he, his, but Steve Austin killed his brother. <laughs> yes. And granted, his brother was a, you know, bad guy, but uh, still, you kind of get why he's mad at him. Mm -hmm. And I kind of wanted that. And that's, and again, that, that ties into the theme of recoil. Like, okay, you kill a bad guy, but then you're going to get the recoil, that backlash, that blowback of your act. You know, no matter how many people you kill, something is going to come after you. You're going to get hurt by it. Or people you know are going to get hurt by it. So I really wanted to make um, Drake not sympathetic, because, I mean, he does use a dude as a punching bag. <laughs> I can't. You know, that's not necessarily something that, that all people do. Yes. But uh, I, I did want him to, you, you kind of get it a little bit. Yeah. Um, and and that was kind of like my, my way of going into it. Um, Danny Trejo was like, that was like the dream casting. Like I, I told... I, again, like, um, 
caliber uh, reached out to me. That's feud management, and and they reached out to me and they talked to me about a little bit. I had no I had no influence on casting, but they did ask me if I had ideas, mm-hmm. and uh, I said, yeah, well, Danny Trejo would be great. They're like, yeah, we're not gonna get Danny Trejo. <laughs> Um, so, you know, it's just a couple other guys, um, and they came back with, like, weird names, like Matt Dillon and Brendan Fraser, apparently, they were in the mix. Interesting. uh, What's that? It's interesting. I mean, I can't picture it, but I guess they dress them the right Uh, way and put on a... Sutherland was going to do it. Kiefer, I could see. I could. I've seen uh, a movie where he played a biker, and I, I can almost picture that. Brendan Fraser, I have a lot of trouble with, but who knows? I mean, he's a fine actor. Maybe he could pull it off in some way. Yeah, I'm sure Brendan Fraser's a cool guy. He's he's Canadian, so that again, that taps into the tax credit idea. But uh, they, yeah, no, they they were actively talking about Brendan Fraser and Matt Dillon. And Matt Dillon, I I can I've never seen Matt Dillon. I, he's he played a complete sleazeball and there's something about Mary. So I actually could see him doing that role. Um, I'd like to see him as like a super bad guy in something. Right. When you hear uh, these names though, back then, do you believe it or are you under the impression? Well, we'll see. We'll see if that happens and you don't really think about it. I, I don't believe it until, until the movie comes out. Um, when the fact that Steve Austin wanted to do my movie, I couldn't believe it until I actually saw the DVD on the shelves and that's why that was, that was the only time I really believed that the, that, that happened. Um, the Danny Trejo thing, like I, I, uh, had been working on a completely different movie, um, the night before and I was up until like four or five in the mornings. I fell asleep on my couch, even though my bed was like two feet away. (laughs) I woke up to uh, a phone call from my manager at like 10 saying that like, hey, yeah, Danny Trejo is going to be the bad guy. And I'm like, and I swear to God, I thought that it was a dream. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, I I love Machete. Uh, He's great. My friend Kyle Ward actually wrote Machete Kills. Oh, wow. Yeah. That looks um, crazy. You guys should talk to him. Yeah. Oh my <laughs> yeah. god. Uh, it's gonna be insane. He's he's a, he's a really good writer. He's an insane writer. So he um yeah. But uh, I, I always joke with him like, oh, we're Machete Brothers. <laughs> both we've both done Danny Trejo films. Speaking of Danny Trejo's character, the scene where he fights this guy and then he goes into a, a monologue about the word deadbeat. Uh, was yeah. this something on the page? Uh, actually, you're basically you're basically singling out the one change in my dialogue right now. Um, so I'll tell you exactly what it was. Good, um, good, yeah. Apparently, apparently, what uh, Terry Miles did a really Terry Miles who directed it did a really brief um, polish on the script. Um, nothing significant. And again, like I said, like this is. Of any movie I've ever done, this is the movie that represents my script more than anything. And mm-hmm. but there there were changes, and that deadbeat conversation, um, Terry, I guess, researched the origin of deadbeat, and I didn't even know this, but uh, apparently, what Danny Trejo says uh, about it, it took place in the during a civil war, revolutionary war, I think. Revolutionary war, yeah. Yeah. Um, 
that was not my monologue. My monologue was more like, I think it was, I can actually bring up the script, but I'm not going to do it right now. Um, it was, a dead beat is when you beat something so much that it stops making a sound. So beating a body or beating a drum to the point where it stops making noise. Now, where did you get that from, and, and where did they get their information from? Are they both true? They're both true, um, but I think Terry's contribution to that was a little more colorful. So I actually do like his, his thing better than mine. That's interesting. I've always wondered this about dialogue like that in a movie. I find that often it is derived in fact, but, I mean, it it doesn't necessarily have to be, right? I mean, this character doesn't have to know what he's talking about. Right, yeah. Um, you can make things up, and as long as the audience believes it, it it's fine. Um, as long as it makes sense within the context of the stories, within the context of the dialogue, it makes sense. Um, Terry brought that to the table. I actually, when, when I first saw the movie for the first time, I got a screener, um, and I watched that scene, I'm like, is, is that true? Yeah. And then I had to like go to Wikipedia. And I'm like, oh, you know, it's, it's true. That's great. Um, I, I liked my thing uh, only because it was a little more darker and brutal. Yes. Because that's that's what happens to, to Kirby at the end of the day. He gets beaten to death. Um, but I, I like that too. And, and I always like it when you uh, when you learn a little something. In terms of the experience of of watching the movie for that that first time or or you know the second or third time, um, are there things that you see that sort of jump out at you as something? Oh, they nailed that, or you know, like like for me watching it again, I really keyed in on the music and how effective the music is. It really is, uh, yeah. in my opinion, the perfect score for that movie. Yeah, no, the, I was really really impressed with the score. I, I loved it. I I, I I would have loved that score on any other movie. It's yeah, even if I didn't write it, I would have loved that score. Was there anything else when you were watching the movie that you thought they really, really nailed? Uh, I love the all the fight scenes. Really, kind of used my choreography, and I think I might have said this in the last time I talked to you guys, mm-hmm. but they used my choreography, which is weird because yeah. I don't know how to fight, but. I they they kind of like used a lot of a lot of like the uh, fight beats and, and a lot of the punch beats that I described in the script. Normally you don't have to do that. Mm-hmm. Like in a script, you can just say they fight. Mm-hmm. Um, just leave it up to the second unit stunt team. Uh, but in this case, for whatever reason, I actually decided to go into detail because it was half the movie. I mean, if, if I took the fight scenes out of the movie, the, movie, the script would be like forty pages. <laughs> So I wound up just kind of describing the fight scenes. Um, I love the pool hall scene. That was done beat for beat. I love Steve getting the uh, ball in his fist and using the cue ball in his fist to punch out the bikers. Right. Uh, that was something that, that I – it was actually even more brutal on the page. There was a point where uh, in the script, and I think they, the only reason they didn't use it is because it was just too brutal, where uh, Barrett Steve takes uh, one of the biker's arms and sticks it in, in, in the pool table, like in, in 
the hole in the pool. In the table. pocket. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the pocket, yeah. Right. And snaps it with just one fist. And they could not do that. <laughs> a little too brutal, I think. I think that was their note. Well, I, I'm interested, actually, in some of the action that, that doesn't get up on the screen. Uh, the death of Rex, where he, he's strapped to the car and the car blows up, is mm. that all on the page like that? Yeah, yeah, um, pretty much, yeah. Uh, that's It, it was uh, fair, snap, yeah. And it, same... That was beat for beat. That was pretty much the same. And same thing, blowing up the box truck uh, with the great shot of Stone Cold walking in slow motion. Uh, this is this is all something you wrote because you think with some of these these you know that's a lot of money they've got to spend on this you know that they may do it slightly differently. That's what you wrote. They kept it same thing. It's yeah. fantastic. Mm-hmm. Uh, Kirby hanging from the back of the the tow truck. This came from your mind. <laughs> yeah. I'm yeah, scared to I, know I you. It's all me. That's terrifying. That was one of the moments in the movie that I was like, whoa, I didn't see that coming. I mean, I really thought this guy was going to make it to the end. I, I you know, I, and, and it's all me. I killed him off. I felt so bad. Um, I, I talked to Patrick Gilmore, who played Kirby on Twitter once in a while. And, uh, and, and not only Patrick Gilmore, but Connor Stanhope, who played of Farrah's son. I talked to him on Twitter. He, he tweets me every so often, and I'm like, and he's like a 13-year-old kid. And I'm like, I'm really sorry. I, don't, I didn't want to kill you. Uh, I'm sorry, kid. But, um, but yeah, all that, it, like I said, I, and, I'll, and I'll, I'll probably be saying this for the rest of my professional career, but the movie was the, the closest to a to a produced script um, in terms of, of accuracy and, and not getting stuff cut out and not being yeah. rewritten um, that I've ever had thus wow. far. I mean, that's good to hear. Uh, there's a scene in the movie that strikes me as odd, and I don't know if the fact that it is odd makes it more unique and makes me like it better, but there's the scene where Stone Cold's character, Ryan, goes to tell Darcy about what happened with his family, and he pours, she's got the wine there, and he pours the wine, and you expect that to be him pouring some Jack Daniels or something, and there's just something so different about Stone Cold picking up a wine glass. With that, it was it was more of um, what's Darcy going to be drinking? She's mm-hmm. probably going to be drinking wine. She's not necessarily going to be having like a bottle of Jack on the table. That was more of just a, a character beat. And you know, if if it was if she was drinking Jack, you know, Stone Cold would have been drinking Jack, but she right. was drinking wine. Um, it is funny because it's kind of funny to see Stone Cold you know, pouring a glass of wine and just like swigging it back. Yeah. He casually drinks it. I mean, you almost expect him to just pour it all over himself like he would with a beer back in the, in the attitude era. I, I, what I really wanted to do is just really humanize these characters. I, yeah. I obviously come from a, you know, a Canon films background and, you know, direct DVD action movie sort of background. And, and I love, action films. Um, but one of the things that they lack are those little bits of humanity. And, and I, what I wanted to do, and I, I'm so glad they made it into the produced film, 
are those little bits of humanity where like, wow, it's stone cold drinking a glass of wine or, you know, it's, it's the female quote unquote love interest asking him to watch prices. Right. <laughs> yes. I like those, that. Those little yeah. Moments. yeah. And I mean, even in the flashback, when we see him hug his wife and he grabs a beer out of the bucket there, it, I mean, it seems yeah. like he's at a regular, he's a regular guy in that, you know, and I like that because throughout most of the movie he is not a regular guy and so i think moments like that i think are are kind of neat and you know kind of give you a lot more to this character yeah that's why uh movies like taken work so well because with liam uh he's he's a loving father and he's got like a past um but he's just trying to be a regular dad and then it's not really until like the beginning of the second act that Liam turns into, you know, this, this super soldier and, and starts killing off every European person in the world. <laughs> yes. Um, but, but I, but those are moments. That's why people respond to the taken movies and maybe movies that not so much now, they don't really make them anymore, but you know, Don Dragon Wilson movies or, Jeff Wincott or, or yeah. Thomas Dean Griffiths, these action heroes that did a lot of directed DVD movies, and I love them. I love them to death, but they're not human characters. And I, I wanted to make Steve's character as best as I could a human character. The uh, the covered wagon story. This to me made a lot of sense in the fact that there was earlier reference to the Revolutionary War. Was this in your <laughs> script? Uh, the cover wagon is uh, an actual thing that I read about, and now I can't unknow. Um, yeah, I know. That's that's part of what I was thinking. What kind of reading is this? Uh, it's it's just yeah. just being a screenwriter. You, I always I always tell my girlfriend, don't judge me by my Google searches. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> there's there's a lot of stuff you don't want to know that I look up. Um, but yeah, unfortunately, that uh, the cover wagon thing is, is straight from my script, and it's um, it's true. It's uh, a lot of it doesn't happen in um, it, it doesn't necessarily happen in, like jail cells uh, because you can't really get away with it in jail cells. But it happens in uh, in a lot of overcrowded prisons. There are bunk beds. They look like military bunk beds, and uh, what happens with new fish or new convicts uh they'll do that they'll throw a um they'll throw a sheet over the thing and the guards turn their heads and whatever goes on behind that sheet is called a covered wagon and uh you know let your imaginations run wild about what happens but no. it's, it's horrible horrible stuff no i won't now so stone cold's character was one of the guys who turned his back on on this drake character uh, Stone Cold busted him. Um, it, it, it was he, but like he doesn't know. He didn't know that. Uh, we we bring back that idea that that the OC thing that got Danny Trejo's character in jail initially mm-hmm. was actually Stone Cold's character. I um, see. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's why that they wind up actually knowing each other. Danny Trejo didn't know um, that. I mean, Danny Trejo knew, like, oh, I took out this cop's family, but to him it meant nothing. Right, um, right. When Stone Cold shows up in the town, 
then it turns out like, oh, this is the cop. So in a weird way, Danny Trejo turned Stone Cold's character into the character that we see in Recoil. Mm-hmm. Now, I so, got a question again, for you. Recoil. Mm-hmm. No, yeah, yeah, exactly. And and I got a question about the the climax of this film and action films in general. I find that at the end there's a lot of things that got that have to come together and have to make sense. How hard is that as a writer? To me that's the hardest part when I explain a movie to somebody. They say, "Oh, well what happens in this movie?" It's always that final act that I'm like, "Uh, geez, I, I at one point this is happening and it's like I enjoy it, but I can't line up what happens cuz everything happens so fast and there's so much of it." And I felt that way with this movie that there was a lot going on in that third act and it all made sense and it was all good, but how is that to write? Um, it's, I, I always say, I always kind of say the same thing. When you start getting bored with the scene, switch to another scene. And and that's kind of like the attitude I, I, I take with, with any movie, and, and particularly with this movie, is that there are pretty much three storylines. Uh, there's the FBI guys coming upon the town. There's Barrett dealing with uh, the circle. And then there's Darcy, um, dealing with the threat against her. She's, you know, especially in the third act when she's kidnapped and she's being held. So I had to deal with those three scenes. I, I just try to cut between them every time a scene, if, if I feel a scene's going too long, I'll just yeah. cut to another scene. And it's, it's kind of like in a weird way, it's like writing three mini movies. So one of the mini movies is Surrender Swan being held captive. And the other mini movie is the FBI trying to figure out where Barrett is and what's going on with the circle. And the third mini movie is Barrett's storyline. Um, I just try to do that. Uh, I, you know, I'm glad that it came together for you. That's great. I mean, that's what I wanted. Uh, that's, you know, and, and I think there's, there's different ways to do it. You can do a contained movie that takes place in an elevator, like devil or something, or oh, sure, you know, yeah. phone booth. And, and those are done fairly successfully, um, but I, you need you need cutaways, and and I it's that sort of mercenary kind of like call it that, but you need cutaways. You can't have Steve Austin punching people for ninety minutes. <laughs> you need you need that you need those moments, and the challenge is to tie them together. Though the third act, you need to you need to tie them together. Speaking of tying them together, I want to mention you know, the duct gotta, tape. Exactly, and, and, and also having, you know, originally one of the choices I didn't like was, um, and this is the only, I swear to God, this is the only negative complaint I'll have about the film. My script had the sheriff, of uh, the deputy, shooting Danny Trejo in the climax, and they had uh, Lachlan Monroe, who played, um, the FBI agent mm-hmm. shooting him. I, I thought it would it was better if if the deputy did it. Yeah, I mean, th- that's interesting. Uh, why do you think so? What do you think is the difference there? I mean, this guy has been chasing him longer, you know, but this other guy, this is his town. Um, I don't know. I um, I just feels I more organic, or. I think I think it was more that uh, they wanted Lachlan was sort of the uh, bigger, 
bigger actor, mm-hmm. and I think they could just kind of want a hero mode okay. for him. <laughs> that may be it, yeah. Yeah, I, I think that was it. Um, but I really love, I really love um, Deputy Hedge. Um, he's he's not a huge actor, but he's really, he was really really great in the role. I love the duct tape. Where did this come? I want to know the story of when you're sitting there. Was it at the computer or were you sitting someplace else going, oh, hey, that would be a really cool twist on this ending scene. You know, he takes the duct tape and wraps their hands together. It, it was it was just something that I had wanted to use for a while. And I uh, wanted to I, I read about Indian wrestling and, and that that is uh, that's the term it's called Indian wrestling and it's just something that I didn't establish at all but I thought it thought it was such a cool honor oh, kind yeah. of thing where mm-hmm. it's like okay we're not going to shoot each other we're not going to stab each other um, but what we're going to do is punch each other to death Right. and I thought that was I thought that was the most uh aggressive and brutal way for the good guy and the bad guy to fight and to hash out uh, their, their struggle because I think there's a sense of honor as, as evil and, and, and bad and, and dark as Danny Trejo's character is. Steve Austin's character isn't much better than that, but there is this weird code of honor. So I thought, what if they, they just did this? And I think both characters would understand that uh, strapping your wrists together and then just punching each other to death has, it, I, I think it's, it's a lot more dramatic than just, you know, exchanging bullets, which, which I like too. But I, I, I think in terms of this movie, these characters both had a score to settle. Mm-hmm. And that kind of played through the whole movie too, because the fight with the Sergeant at arms, um, I thought that fight was really well done in the sense that you had this situation where, Guys don't throw punches um, without the intention of taking it all the way. Yeah. So really, really interesting stuff going on there. Um, you know, in wrestling they call that psychology, and I think the psychology of the fights in this movie are really, um, you know, uh, some of the the biggest selling points for it. Uh, I said on Twitter the other night that I thought this, uh, hands down, is the best movie that Stone Cold's done. And every movie I watch with Stone Cold in it from this point on is going to forever be judged against recoil. <laughs> uh, well, he's going to do one that's better. Hopefully I write it. <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> so um, but I, I really appreciate that. And, and uh, I'm really proud of the way the fight scenes turned out. And, and I really like that. That um, the uh, Sergeant Arms, when he fights, uh, when he fights um, Keith Jardine mm-hmm. at the gas station, and this is crab, right? This is crab, yeah. Mm-hmm. That was that was choreographed almost almost ninety nine percent was on the page, which is again insane. Yeah. I, it, that's not something that normally happens. Where do you get that name from? It was actually originally a coil, but okay. I realized that was the name of the character in Oz, so I had to change it. <laughs> okay. Um, so let me, let me ask you this. What happens after this movie? We know he tells Darcy he's going to send her a postcard. The FBI agent lets him go. Did you think well past this? Does, does this happen again? Is the FBI agent there in another town one day doing the same thing? 
I picture it as the fugitive, where it, there is this sort of mutual um, adversarial camaraderie uh, between the characters, where uh, and there's not going to be a recoil to. Um, but I can say that the Steve Austin movie that I'm working on right now was going to be recoiled to. Ooh, nice. So uh, it won't be called that, and it'll be a different character name, but it started off that way. Well, very good. Well, we talked at the beginning of what you what you have coming up, so that's exciting. We've got a lot to look forward to. Where can people find you on the Internet? Uh, I'm at Johnny Blackout on Twitter. Um, I'm very active on there. Anyone who has any questions about recoil or anything else uh, can find me on there. Um, and I'm um, Blackout Films uh, on Facebook. Fantastic. Johnny, you got to come back on. We got to talk to you. We can't wait a year next time. We got to talk to you again because it's you've got so many great stories and, and I love hearing them. Oh, uh, thank you guys for, for your interest in my movie and, and anything I do. And uh, you guys rock. And, and um, I love talking to you guys on Twitter as well. And um, I love the site. And, and um, yeah, thanks for liking thanks for liking my movie. Oh, it's fantastic. I've been I've been digging into some of the other stuff too. So I I picked up a couple DVDs recently. I I'm gonna have to tweet out a picture. Oh, Fear of the Dark, Prophecy, 4 and 5. Prophecy. I got the big box set. Oh, great. Well, Prophecy, 4 and 5, uh, I only got a story by on that, but I, I, they're really good movies, though. Yeah. They actually turned out really well. And uh, Fear of the Dark is, is the first thing I ever wrote that I got paid for. Now, should I should I go get that? Yeah. It, right. it, I'm going to get it. I'm, I'm taking your word for it. I'm going to get it. We'll talk about it next time. It's a kid's horror movie. Uh, it's a horror movie for kids, but um, which is ironic because that's kind of what I'm working on now. John or Johnny Sullivan, whichever way, whichever way you want to be called, it's a pleasure to talk to you. Absolutely, anytime. And thank you to you for listening, and we will see you next time right here on Camel Clutch Cinema. So you want to wrestle, huh? You're too little. We got ushers bigger than you. Leave. I gotta take a crap. Don't you see? Your skills plus my skills in the ring. Tag team! Howard Patrols is John Triton. What are you doing up there? Staying away from you. No more rhymes now, I mean it! Anybody want to be that? What's that smell? Down goes Jimmy King! Oh my god, a four-post massacre! No one can survive this! This isn't even a pay-per-view!